So today, uh, I want to talk about um, I want to talk about something that that uh, God has really been dealing with me a lot this year since the beginning of the year. I mean, you can ask my wife Tasha. She, uh, you know, I tell her stuff all the time just about um, you know what God's putting into my heart and. Uh, I've probably mentioned this, Roly, how many times have I mentioned that God's intentional in youth this year? Uh, Yeah, about like 10, right? And we have youth service once a week, so that's like, you know, 10 weeks. But, but, um, you know, it's, it's, God has been dealing with me because he's been showing me that he's intentional. He's been showing me how he uses even the difficult moments in our life to turn it around for something good. I'm going to read this scripture a little bit later, but uh, Romans 8, 28 talks about how God does that. All things worketh to, to the good to them that love God and believe. You know, that, I probably butchered that, but that's basically what it says. <laughs> so I want to just kind of, I guess, talk to you, probably not tell you anything new or revelatory, but, um, you know, my, uh, uh, my title today is just Intentional. So I want to direct your attention to Psalm 66, verses 8 through 12. Psalm 66, 8 through 12. When you get there, say amen. I need to shed a layer. All right. So, for the sake of time, I'm going to go ahead and start reading. You can stand if you'd like. Um, I know we do that out of respect for the word. I know you've been standing a long time, but just bear with me a little bit longer. Psalm 66, 8 through 12 says, Bless our God, ye people, and make the voice of his praise to be heard, which holdeth our soul in life, and suffereth not our feet to be moved. For thou, O God, hast proved us, thou hast tried us, as silver is tried. Thou broughtest us into the net, thou laidest affliction upon our loins. Thou hast caused men to ride over our heads. We went through the fire and through the water, but thou brought us into a wealthy place. You can be seated if you want to. God is good all the time. And I know uh, this portion of scripture um, is sometimes difficult to swallow because it talks about (laughs) that God has tried us as silver is tried and brought brought us into the net and laid affliction upon our loins and caused men to ride over our heads. And we went through the fire and we went through the water. But even though those difficult moments in our life come, the Bible says right here, the last line is, but thou broughtest us into a wealthy place. Um, how many of you like uh, silver and gold? I think, I think everybody does, right? Everybody likes silver and gold. Um, you know, it's called a precious metal for a reason, right? Like, it's, it's very desired. It's uh, something that people want. I mean, if you look at throughout history, right, like all the empires, all the nations of the world have stored this up. This has been, you know, a monetary value. It's had monetary value 
you know, forever, pretty much, since its discovery. These are, the, these are two metals. They're, they're like the most sought-after metals, right? Gold and silver. We make our wedding rings out of gold and silver. We wear jewelry that has gold and silver. You know, we, we have watches. I mean, mine's a knockoff, but, you know, it looks like silver, but it's not. <laughs> you know, what's funny is that it's so sought after that if we can't afford it, we try and make the things we have look like gold and silver. <laughs> so did you know that gold and silver came, come, they come from the same ores. They're in the same ore family. Um, have you ever seen gold or silver like ore coming right out of the ground? It's pretty much just a rock that's got little flakes in it, right? Of flakes of gold, flakes of silver. It's, it's, uh, it's pretty cool to look at, but it's, you know, it's a little rough around the edges. It's, uh, it's not refined. It's just right out of the rock. Um, but gold and silver, even chemi- they're, they're chemically similar in their makeup. They're, they're both soft metals, they're, they're easily malleable, they're, uh, but they're both durable and precious metals. They're also, uh, they're, there's another thing that these two metals have in common. And what they have in common is the way that they're purified. Um, does anybody know, I guess, the process, how you, how you purify gold and silver? A little bit, a little bit. Um, it's, it's a pretty involved process. Uh, there's, a lot that go on, there's a lot that goes on with this. And, and as I was uh, studying that out, I can see why that analogy is used multiple times in the Bible about being tried as gold, being tried as silver. You know, the, the way you do it is with fire. Fire creates the most pure form of gold and silver. But did you know that gold and silver can never be 100% pure? They can't get there. It's impossible. It's impossible. So the jeweler heats up the gold and silver uh, in a liquid kiln. A kiln is like a, like a stone furnace. It gets really, really, really hot. And it, it, it heats up to about 1,000 degrees Celsius, which is... 1,832 degrees Fahrenheit. That'll melt the skin off your bones. That's hot. That's like Mississippi hot. No, it doesn't get that hot down there. <laughs> but you know, it's not, just, it's not just the fire, right? The jeweler has to be extremely intentional in the way he handles these metals during the refining process. He heats them up really, really hot. And he stirs it constantly with this big, like, spoon thing and stirs as it's heating up. And when it's, when it's heated up to a liquid, uh, all of the impurities in the, in the ore float to the top of that liquid. And then he takes that spoon that he's been stirring and stirring and stirring and scoops it out. And it's called dross. It's, it's worthless. It's, it, you know, it's, 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 it's trash at that point. But I, I want to compare that process to our life. You know, God is, is, is the jeweler. He's the refiner, if you will, of our life. 
were the impure gold and silver. Zechariah 13 and 9 says, And I will bring the third part through the fire and will refine them as silver is refined and will try them as gold is tried. They shall call on my name and I will hear them. I will say it is my people and they shall say, The Lord is my God. I think we can, you know, we're, we're pretty good at being real in, in this church, right? And if, if we're totally honest and we're real 100%, we can all say that there's been times in our life that have been pretty tough. That there's been moments that we, you know, it, it, it looks pretty bleak. You know, the, the word in Hebrew, bakan, which is used uh, when it talks about uh, refining them, it means to put to the test. That's, that's what the Hebrew word means. It depicts how God uses trials in our life and just life in general to, to, to refine us into something that's more pure, something that's better after the fact. Trials, I, I, trials if we pursue to the end, God always uses those to expand our ministry. Trials, if we pursue to the end, bring the impurities to the top, and God takes care of those. And it's not comfortable in the fire. But just as the jeweler is intentional, so is God. The word intentional meaning deliberate or done on purpose. You know, God is not a God of accidents or randomness. You know, our, our, our culture likes to put randomness to everything. Oh, well, that was just a coincidence. You know, that's, uh, that's, that's, you know, just life. And you know what? Life happens. But when God gets involved, things change. When God gets involved, those moments that might have seen, seemed like a coincidence, those moments of hurt and pain that, that we don't want to go through, God then uses that to refine us, to make us stronger, to make us better expand our ministry to the point where maybe we couldn't have ministered to somebody should we not have gone through that. Right. Jeremiah 29, 10 through 11 is talking about the children of Israel when they're in captivity of the Babylonians. They're not in a good space. But then the scripture says, for thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you in causing you to return to this place. Verse 11, most of us know it. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. There was a prophecy there saying, if you'll just endure this season, in the Bible it was 70 years, but if you'll just endure this season, God will visit you. And God never just leaves us by the, by the wayside. When we're in the fire, God is right there with us. You know, look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They had to go through a literal furnace when they wouldn't bow down to the, to the, uh, the statue that Nebuchadnezzar set up. They wouldn't do it because they believed that God is one and we're not going to worship anybody else. They came to Nebuchadnezzar and he said, hey guys, you're like up there in my government, you know, I'll, I'll give you another chance, right? And they said, it doesn't matter what you do, Nebuchadnezzar. Like, we, we can't worship this statue because we worship God. What did Nebuchadnezzar do? 
He, made, he, he heated up this fire so hot that the mighty men in his army that were carrying Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to the furnace, they died. And then they got thrown in. Shad, the three boys, the three Hebrew boys, got thrown in. And they're just kind of hanging out. It's not, it's not comfortable being in the fire, I'll tell you that. But the Bible says that the king looked into the furnace and said, wait a second, there's a fourth guy in there. I held up five, but it's four. There's a fourth guy in there, and he looks like the son of God. You know, there are times when we're going through the fire and we feel alone. There are times where we go through those struggles and we feel like nobody's there. But can I tell you that, that, that if you keep your focus on God, those are the moments when God is carrying you through it. You know, there's a, there's a poem. It's like my favorite poem on the face of the earth. It's called Footsteps in the Sand. Has anybody ever heard that or read it? Okay. And it talks about this, this whole thought process of when we go through difficult times, you know, it, it starts out with this individual who, who's walking along the beach and they see, um, you know, God beside them, the footprints in the sand. There's two sets, you know. Uh, and then when this person looks back on their life, they say, hey, why is it that during my hardest times, I only see one set of footprints. God, did you forsake me? And that's when God said, no, that's when I was carrying you. That's when I was getting you through it. So, kind of got off on a tangent, but I want to get back to Romans 8.28. Now, this time I'm actually going to read it, and I'm not going to butcher it. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. You know, I know that, that this uh, sanctuary of people are people who love God. And I know that this sanctuary full of people are people who are called according to his purpose. So that means that if we, if we love God and we're called and we're living after his will, doesn't matter what comes in our lives, God will use that for good. It might not feel good now, but God has a plan for this moment and every moment of our lives as long as we put him first. Um, there's a gospel singer that I think I, uh, uh, I might have mentioned him last time I was up here. Because uh, he's just, you know, his, his songs have been just ministering to me. His name's Travis Green. Um, I think I probably said something about it. But... Uh, he, he's, a, he's, a, he's a gospel artist, um, and if you don't know anything about me, I love gospel music. Grew up listening to gospel music. Um, so like Ty Tribbett, Kirk Franklin, you know, those are my guys. But uh, Travis Green has um, a couple songs out that have really been ministering to me, and one of them, the title of it is Intentional. And the whole song, he just says, all things are working for my good because he's intentional. And the bridge is just, he's intentional. He's intentional. He's intentional. All things are working for my good because he's intentional. You know, th there's, there's something so powerful about understanding that God doesn't make mistakes. Being able to recall that in our minds when we do go through a hard situation and when we're walking through what feels the most difficult moment in our lives, we can think, don't worry, God's intentional. All things are going to work for my good because he's intentional. 
So I just want to encourage somebody in your faith that if you're going through what seems to be one of the darkest, most difficult moments in your life, keep your eyes on Jesus because everything is going to work out. You know, if when we think about our life, we can we can point to many places where uh, where we would consider hardships, whether that be financial struggles, whether whether that be a, a struggle with an addiction, or whether that be uh, a difficult workplace, or or working with difficult people. We can all point back to a moment in our life where where something wasn't going our way. There's a when we were this weekend, Tasha and I went to um, a hyphen conference with uh, Nate and Lisi were there and Jesse was there Friday night, and we were uh, you know just listening and and it was it was just insane the the teaching and and the ministering that was going on and Saturday there was a split session where Aaron Soto was teaching and then Brother Stan Gleason was teaching a separate uh, separate thing and. Um, Tasha stayed and listened to Stan Gleason. I went with uh, Aaron Soto with uh, Nate and Lisi. And I got to tell you, that was probably the most convicting message I've ever heard in my life. Um, you know, those, those messages where somebody's preaching and you just feel like they're preaching right into your spirit, it was like that. Um, he was talking about how uh, it was all about discipleship. But his was the discipleship ministry. And he started off uh, ask, and asked everybody in the classroom, he's like, who in here is a full-time minister? You're paid by the church. You know, that's all you do. Nobody raised their hand. Um, and, and then he went on to, he, he was just talking about, um, about our workplace, really. And about how we tend to separate uh, our secular life and our sacred life, right? We tend to think, well, I can serve God outside of work. You know, I can, I can, I can live for, if I can only get to this weekend, you know, I can do something awesome for God. And in reality, when we do that, we're just giving God our leftovers. That's what Brother Soto said. And that convicted me hard. You know, because I, I know there are times, I, I my job I would consider is really just high stress. I work, I work in a bank. I'm a banker. Um, and it, ch it changes all the time. Regulations change, you know, uh, people come in, there's issues, you know, I'm dealing with, uh, people's financial problems all day long. You know, it's, it's crazy. And I would consider that pretty high stress. I, I, obviously I've gained some weight though, because I'm just sitting at a desk, but emotionally and mentally it's tough. Um, so I've, I've been guilty of that, that man, if I can just get through the day, right, then I can go home, I can read my Bible, I can pray, you know, I can do what I need to do. And when I do that, I'm putting limits on God. So th there are times, even when we, <laughs> now I, I know there are people that just hate their job, Right. Um, a lot, a lot of us hopefully are in your dream job. You don't have to raise your hand, but <laughs> I can tell you, I don't want to be a banker my entire life. I don't, I don't want to. Um, 
and, and there are those moments when it gets really difficult because uh, if you didn't know this, I'll give you a little glimpse into banking. A bank is a bank is a bank, right? All banks are the same and all banks are for profit, okay? I'll tell you that. Well, aside from maybe credit unions. But they are? Okay. I've never worked at a credit union, so I don't know. But it's, it's a sales environment constantly. You know, my manager's manager comes to our branch and is like, what are you doing? You know, are you doing this, this, this? You know, and, and I'm thankful that the bank I work for, BMO, is um, really uh, customer-oriented. Um, so it's not like here's an incredible amount of things to hit and this is your sales goal and if you don't hit it, you get fired. You know, it's not, not like that. But um, there are still times that sales kind of drive it and it gets really stressful and I come home and I'm just like complaining to Tasha sometimes. I'm just like, oh, my, you know, oh, it just <laughs> it drives me nuts. But um, I've, I got to a point where that became something that was very difficult for me and I, and I would look at it like, you know, this, it was just a very rough period of my life, like for a couple months. I mean, I would just come home and be absolutely discouraged and just, you know, worn out. And I, I'd go to sleep that night, wake up tired because it was just, it was wearing on me. And I, I, you know, I just couldn't handle, I felt like I couldn't handle it. So that became a very, uh, I know it's not like blow your mind, wow, that guy went through something crazy, but to me, that was like sitting in a furnace for a while because it hurt. You know, my friends that, that I made like in management started, you know, kind of not being so nice because, you know, just the bank as a whole wasn't doing very well. And, and it, it was tough on me because I thought I had some friends and then things change, right? Because um, believe it or not, there are people out there that really only care about your progress and not really about you. And I found that out the hard way. Um, but so to me, that was a very difficult period in my life. Um, and there's still some of that wearing on me. But, you know, when you, when you look at it from a perspective that God's got it in control, it no longer becomes this difficult, like, trudging and, and discouragement and this walk of shame. It no longer becomes that. It becomes something that, yeah, it's not very comfortable, but I give it to you, God, and you're going to take care of it. And I've already seen, I've already seen God start to change situations and start to work. And it, it absolutely blows my mind. And you know what? There are people if I was not working where I'm at, if I was not going through what I was going through, there would be people that I did, would not have the opportunity to minister to. For one, I can think of my manager. If I wasn't where I was at, I never would have known the guy. And yet now he's got revelation of who God is and what God's doing in his life. And th there's, a, there's a new gentleman that um, started working there. And if I had not been in that difficult situation, I never would have met this man and I never would have been able to share Jesus with him. So God works even in the furnace. God also puts us in difficult places to minister to those around us. One thing that Aaron Soto said, and I, I won't forget it, um, you're not at your job for you you're at your job for everybody else. 
And to me, that was like, you know, well, why am I working? So I can support my family, so I can, you know, support my wife and our new baby that's coming. But when Aaron Soto said that, it gave me a new perspective that, you know what? God owns everything anyways. The money I'm making is his. He just gave me the ability to support my family, so I'm going to focus on everybody else. And that's where, when you, when you that's the mentality of a, of a disciple maker. And that was what the whole weekend was about. But the point I wanted to make that I kind of got off on a tangent, I apologize. The point I wanted to make is that God puts you in difficult situations on purpose. You know, one thing I told our young people, it's not hard living for God. We all like to say, well, it's just difficult, you know, to live for God because we're flesh. You know what the difficult thing is? Is our flesh. That's the difficult part. Living for God is not hard. There's a scripture in the New Testament that talks about how keeping the commandments of God are not grievous. They're not difficult, but it's our flesh. You know, another, uh, another point I wanted to make is how when we go through difficult things, it, it expands our ministry. It, it, the end product of the furnace is always more valuable than what you're putting in. You can't sell like gold ore for the same amount of money you can a gold bar. You just can't do it. It's not as valuable. So does anybody know how jewelry is ranked on the carrot scale? Blurt, blurt it out if you do. Yeah, so I'm going to go by the numbers because I'm not that technical. I'm not a jeweler, right? I'm, I don't handle that stuff. But um, it, 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 there's a scale that goes from uh, like roughly 10 carats to 24, okay? The scale puts a, puts a, puts a number, it puts a grade on that metal, the silver or gold or whatever you're, whatever you're measuring. It's mostly just gold and silver. But 10 carat jewelry has the most additives and the most impurities in it. It's the least valuable. Because it's only been through the fire and through that furnace one or two times. It's, it's, not, it's not super valuable. That's, um, I mean, to some people it's still expensive. To me it's probably still expensive. Um, but the, the point I wanted to make is that God is interested in those who are willing to trust him even in the difficult times. God is interested in those who are willing to go through the fire and to be molded to the ministry that he has for us and to not give up. You know, I, I guess if you were to equate the 10 karat jewelry or gold or silver or whatever to um, Christians today, <laughs> the 10 karat is the people who maybe make it through one hardship and then by the second, they don't trust in God anymore. And they're gone. I guess that's the closest thing you can equate that to. God's not interested in a 10-carat people, to be completely honest with you. God's not interested in that because God is building his church, and you can't build a church on, on, on people who, uh, you know, don't trust in God. That's what it boils down to. So when we go through these trials, it's it's 
the jeweler, when he's creating this gold and silver, or when he's refining it, puts it through the furnace, you know, does the whole stirring thing, takes out the impurities, lets it cool, puts it into the furnace again, and just does it over and over and over and over again. And uh, it, it, so he melts it down, cools it off, melts it down, cools it off, until he can get as many impurities as he can out of it. And that's when you get the 24 karat jewelry. It's the most refined form of, of, of gold and silver. It's, 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 you know what is so amazing? And this, this blew my mind. Gold and silver can never be 100% pure. The closest they can get is 99.5%. Look at us. We can never be perfect, but God is constantly perfecting us until we meet him in glory. You know, much like us, we just, we can't be perfect. But Genesis 1 and 27 says, so God created man in his image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. God created us in his image. Amen. Sometimes we look at ourselves though. And we do not see. (laughs) We don't see God. We look in the mirror and don't necessarily like what we see. You know, through multiple, multiple furnace visits, the gold gets more pure and more pure. But I I found this uh, very interesting. How does the jeweler know when the gold is the most pure? Does anybody know? Oh, there it is. The jeweler, the refiner, knows when the gold and silver is done if he can let it cool into, you know, whatever he's making, a bar or whatever, and if he can look at it and see his reflection, that's when it's done. I wonder if, if God were to look at us, does he see his reflection? That's a tough question to answer. God, when you look at me, do you see your reflection? I just imagine that when these hardships come and, 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 you know, we're going through the fire and the furnace and after, at the end, I just, you know, my imagination goes and I just imagine God looking down. Now can I see my reflection? Now when people look at the one that I'm using, do they see me? Because if God created us in his image, we're to be reflections of God's image to everyone else. Nobody can see God. Nobody can physically touch God. Nobody can reach up and pull him down to earth. So how do people know that God exists? It should be through us. People should be able to look at each one of us and and see God. You know, Moses had a really interesting experience with God. He, uh, you know, was spending some time with with God and came down off the mountaintop and his face was glowing. And he eventually had to put a veil over his face because everybody was making a big deal about it and freaking out and doing all kinds of stuff. But that's the reflection of God. It was the reflection of God's glory that shone on his face, that, show, was, that was showing for everyone to behold. God does that same thing in us. When we repent, when we're baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of our sins, when we're filled with his Holy Spirit, people should be able to see the reflection of God. That's not to say that that's just your 
<laughs> to use a term that I can't remember who used it this weekend, that's not your get out of hell free card. <laughs> I thought that was funny. That's just me. But we have to continually live a life that's pleasing to God because we can repent, be baptized in Jesus' name, get the Holy Ghost, and if we turn away from God, his, his glory no longer resides on us. When people see us, they just see the people that we are, the sinful, the fleshly people, the carnal people. So the, getting to the point, God puts things in our life to expand our ministry, right? I heard um, a message once that our scars are our story, you know, something like that. Or uh, even pastor talked about it last week, I believe it was, when he said in Revelations, it talks about they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the, and the power of their testimony, the word of their testimony or however it goes. So we have a testimony. When we go through things, that creates a testimony in our lives. So we can point back and say, hey, I know what you're struggling with. But look what God did in my life. He can do the same in yours. You know, that's what our hardships ultimately do for us. They expand our ministry. I remember, um, and this is past, so I'm going to tell you something uh, just about my life, okay? So forgive me. But um, there was a point in time, my parents know that I tell this story, okay? So don't flip out. Um, there was a point in time where my parents did not have a great relationship, uh, my father, my dad, um, now we have an amazing relationship, great relationship. Um, but he was never there for me as a kid. You know, he never came to any of my sports events, nothing. He, now I understand he worked, he, he worked retail. He was like a manager for Kroger. If anybody knows what Kroger is, kind of like pick and save. Well, it is pick and save now, <laughs> but Kroger, he worked for Kroger and he was a manager. He would work 13 hour days, you know, like, He'd have two days off during the week, and that's when he'd sleep. You know, it was like that. Um, but, you know, that leaves scars on a child. And I remember there was a time where my dad had knee surgery, and uh, he had, a, he had a issues with addiction. He really did. Um, and again, he knows that I tell this story, okay? It's just to get a point across. Um, but he battled with addiction all through his life. He used to drink a case of beer a day, right? Like people are like, whoa, yeah. He quit when I was born. He said he didn't want to raise his kid a drunk, okay? Which is amazing. But when he had his knee surgery, he got stuck on those painkillers. Couldn't quit. I remember him bringing me to drug deals because I was just in the car. He was taking me somewhere. He'd stop over at somebody's house, buy pills. I remember that. I remember sitting with him in rehab I remember going to AA meetings with him. And everything looked good. You know, I'm not going to go there, but when we moved up here, it was for my parents' marriage. That's what it was for. That's why we came here. Then my dad, again, gets stuck on some stuff, can't quit. Um, my parents, you know, their marriage falls apart. It was, it was difficult on me. I remember just having screaming matches with my dad because I was trying to protect my mom, you know, like that kind of thing as a son. And uh, it hurt a lot. And I remember there was a minister in, uh, in the church in Monroe that, that Tasha and I went to, and he would take me out to lunch. And there was one point where he told me, 
everything happens for a reason. God's expanding your ministry. And to me, I'm like, I don't want that. I just want everything to be okay, you know? And then he started telling me his story and how his parents, you know, same thing with his dad, issues, got divorced, you know, like all kinds of stuff. And he was able to minister into me because of the hardship he went through. And now there's been a couple young men that I've been able to minister to that have had issues with, you know, the relationship with their dad, that, that have, you know, struggled through that, that moment when your parents get divorced. You know, because th- those kinds of things can have eternal impacts on us. And if we don't have people that can minister to those afflictions, people will leave. So God uses these difficult, hard moments in our life to, to direct us and to, and to guide us and, and, and to minister to people. You know, I know without a shadow of a doubt that there are people that, that God has placed in my life that I would have no opportunity ministering to them should I not have gone through what I, you know, with my parents. I know that they wouldn't, you know, care anything I said because when, when that happens and you try and come up to somebody who's going through something and you didn't go through it and you're like, hey, I, I know how you understand. No, you don't. That's what people think. No, you don't. You have no clue what I'm dealing with. But when we can have people and we have a God that uses even the bad things for good, God uses even the weapons of the enemy for good. Even the moments when, when the devil thought he could take us out, if we keep our eyes on and we keep our focus on him, God will even turn those, those things that the devil meant for wickedness, whether it be sickness or, or, or disease or financial issues, whatever. God will even turn those into something that we can use to minister. So I, I don't know where you're at. I don't. God doesn't talk to me like that. <laughs> I don't know what I'd do if I did, but I don't know where you're at. But I always know that God is working on us. You know, one of the most encouraging things I think I've ever heard is that all things happen for a reason. (laughs) Because we get so caught up in that randomness of life. Oh, you know, I'm just, this is just happening to me. I don't see a purpose in it. I don't see a reason for it. That happens a lot. But those are the moments when God really works on us. Those are the moments when he's refining us to be more valuable. I mean, just like how uh, I mentioned that everything you go through expands your ministry, you become more valuable to the kingdom of God afterwards. Because there's just that many more people that you can minister to. There's that many more people that you can reach. So uh, if you don't hear anything, just understand that that God is at work in your life no matter what you're going through if we could all uh stand in closing I just have a a couple more scriptures I want to read just to end I have uh second Corinthians 3 and 18 second Corinthians 3 and 18 this is what it says But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass or as in a mirror, that's what it's talking about, the glory of the Lord, 
are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. You know, I could even read the scripture above that because it talks about how the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And then it goes on to say, but we behold in a mirror the glory of the Lord. This was Paul writing to the church in Corinthians. And he said, uh, or the church in Corinth, in Corinthians, um, he was explaining to the Corinthians this process of becoming like God. Because we can never be God, right? We can't be perfect. It's not possible. But the Bible also says that God perfects us or is in the process of perfecting. Or if you want to exchange the word, in the process of refining us. And that's what Paul's talking about here. He's saying, look, there's a process that takes place when you live for God. You go through some highs and lows, but that's just God refining you, making you look more like him. And the last scripture I want to read, I'm going to go back to Romans 8, and I'm going to read 29 and 30. Romans 8, 29 and 30 says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. Did you know that God knew you before you were in the womb? Did you know that? That's what this scripture is talking about. God knew you already. He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among men. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. You know, this scripture, it's, it's not a scripture for the theology of predestination, okay? That theology says that God already knows who's going to heaven or hell. I don't believe that. What this is saying is that God knew you before you were formed. And as long as you live for him, he's got a plan. It's, it's going to happen. That's what it's saying. And the plan is that he's going to make you like him to be Christ-like. We're not going to be like deities like God, but we can be Christ-like. We can be, you know what? We're probably the only Bible that somebody will ever read. And we have to live our lives no matter what we're going through, the way Jesus lived his. And I believe that through the process of, of just being refined as a believer or, or the process of, uh, of, of being refined as, a, as a, just a person that lives for God, you do go through some highs and lows. There's some moments of fiery furnace and there's some moments of cooling off. But the ultimate goal is one, to expand our ministry and two, to be more Christ-like. Because this, the stage of, of this world, there are people who live in the United States who is, you know, the United States, we like to say it's a quote-unquote Christian nation. But there are people that don't even know who Jesus is. 
There are people that have never even heard that name, Jesus. There are people who have never even experienced God in the way that we do. Who are we to keep that to ourselves? Who are we to keep that just in this assembly? But God is constantly using the moments in our lives. Another thing that Brother Soto said is when we, we, we tend to separate the secular and the sacred parts of our life. But did you know that in those secular moments, there's moments of sacredness? When you're at the grocery store getting groceries, you might end up with a divine appointment. Just like when Jesus says, I need to go to Samaria. I got somebody there I need to meet. God does that same thing in our life. And I, I wonder if we could all just bow our heads and close our eyes. There's never a moment of being there or getting there. There's never a moment of just absolute achievement where you're the most godlike you can be. There's never a moment in our lives where we just we're the best Christian or we're, we're the most holy or we're the most sacred. You know, with an attitude like that, we end up just being the Pharisees, right? In the New Testament that Jesus hated the way they, they, they did things because they had that, oh, I'm there. I'm holier than thou. I got my life together. When in reality, none of us are there. So I, I just want us to be open today just to the idea of refinement. And I know there's times where um, preachers will talk about that and how God breaks us and, and you know, those difficult to hear messages. But I wonder if we could have an open heart to that. If we can just say, God, refine me. Take out those impurities. Take out those things that, that I don't need. If we could all, this altar's open. If, if we could all gather together as a family, and just pray and seek the face of God. As you're coming down, I just want to tell you a little bit more about the three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When they went in the fire and they came out, there was no smell of smoke on them, right? That's what the Bible says. There was no smell of smoke. Their clothes didn't burn, nothing. Do you know what burned? Their bindings. That's what burned. When we go through the fire, God takes away the things that we don't need, the things that, that would bind us, the things that would hold us back from our true potential in Christ. God intentionally puts us in situations to make us better. And if we could all just have an open heart to that today and ask God, will you refine me? Will you expand ministry? Will you use the difficult moments in my life to be some of the greatest testimonies that I'll ever share?
Thank you, Jesus.